who's doing our kids today? Zach's got our kids. All right. So our for our young people's church, kids' church, you can follow Zach out to uh, to the room across the hall. We are beginning a series today from the book of Titus. It's going to be about five, six weeks long, book of Titus. Um, today we're going to look at chapter one in Titus. And uh, if you look in your program, you can see that the title is called Leaders. And there, there's something missing uh, in the church where Titus was the pastor. They were missing leaders. And that's also something that's often missing in churches today. I work with churches around North America. Um, my title with Sun Life Ministries, who I serve with, is Director of Leader Development. So I work with a lot of different leaders. And I can tell you that, that there's a, a lack of good leadership and leaders in churches today. Uh, it's also something that's missing in our world today. I mean, you look around at political leaders. There's a lack of good political leaders and community leaders, uh, sports teams leaders, uh, bosses on the job leaders. There's a lack of, of leaders. So we're going to look at this idea of, of leaders today from Titus chapter 1. Before we do that, you know how I like to do quizzes. I'm uh, going to do a little bit of a quiz so you can, if you can identify some of these famous leaders. Uh, first leader up. Does anybody know who this gentleman is? Who, who is it, Abby? Very good. Martin Luther King, Jr., and do you know where, what city was it where he walked over the bridge for, for rights? Selma, Alabama. Who said that? Someone knew it. Good job, Pete. Selma, Alabama. Who is this leader? Ronald Reagan. Okay, we're getting some of these. Does anybody know this famous leader? Who is it, Abby? Take that, you old people. Abby knew who that was. That's Rosa Parks. And why was she a good leader, Abby? That's right. And, and specifically, what was she known for? Amen. Right on. That's a good leader right there. Who said that? Did Lisa say it? All right. Good job, Lisa. Way to go. We'll give you old people. Way to go. Does anybody know this famous leader? Nelson Mandela, what country was he from? South Africa. Now, some of you all didn't say a word, and maybe this history thing isn't your, your thing. Maybe you're more into movies <laughs> than history. So who is this leader? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, there's a good leader for us. Who's this leader? Captain America. And <laughs> who's this leader? Yeah, don't you love that expression of astute leadership on, on Buzz's face? Well, let's get back to Titus. Let's look at uh, leaders, and specifically we're going to look at leaders in the church. But also, as we're looking at leaders in the church, let's really make this practical for all of us. Leaders also in the home. We can be leaders in the workplace. We can be leaders in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in your world, in your school, on your team. We can all be leaders. But before we get into this whole idea of leaders, let's, we're going to spend you know, several weeks in Titus 
let's get some history and context so we can understand Titus correctly. First of all, uh, Titus uh, was the name of a pastor of the church in Crete. He was a travel companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul started the church in Crete. In fact, let's take a look at where Crete is at. Here is Jerusalem and Israel all the way to the east. Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. You can read about it in, I think it's Acts 17, when they were sailing. No, 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 27. They were sailing, big storm. They were going to try to port in Crete, but the wind took them all the way to Malta. So Crete is where Paul had started a church, but he did not remain there very long. Paul stayed at churches he started, like in Ephesus, for a couple years, but he didn't stay that long in Crete. So he left Titus there to establish the church, to develop leaders in that church, to help that church grow to become healthy, to make disciples in that church. And that's where Titus was in that, on that island. Crete was known for dishonesty, for gluttony, and for laziness. It was an island. They had much of an island culture there. There were beaches there. Trade ships would come through there, port there, distribute goods, pick up goods, and go on to Italy and to Rome from Crete. So people who lived there, uh, they got known for this beach lifestyle of laziness, no work ethic, Um, dishonesty, where they would try to cheat the different traders who came through there, and gluttony, where they didn't have to work a lot, so they would just eat a lot instead. Uh, And this culture on that island, that was the starting point for all the new believers in the church. That had been their cultural DNA. This whole idea of God and honoring God was foreign to them. So they lived this certain way all their lives, and so Titus was given instructions to change that culture. The church culture had to become different than the predominant culture around them. The church at this time, therefore, it was immature, and it was influenced, heavily influenced, by this culture. And so Paul was giving instruction to not allow these types of leaders, leaders who were lazy, leaders who were gluttonous, leaders who were dishonest, they could not be leaders in the church. There had to be a cultural change in their lives first before they could be leaders in the church. And when he was going to appoint these leaders, he had to appoint countercultural leaders in the church. And so in the coming weeks for us here at Freedom, we're going we're gonna to look at these different instructions that Paul gave for, for discipling these people to become mature followers and servants of Jesus, people who knew Jesus, followed Jesus, served Jesus, and obeyed Jesus. And, and finally, when we look at the history and context, Paul gave instructions to Titus about several things in the whole book of Titus. First of all, about leaders, and that's what we're going to look at today. Gave instructions about leaders in the church. Gave instructions about conduct of how disciples should live, different than the the typical Cretan or Crete conduct. And he also gave them instructions about false teachers. And if you can imagine, when the different ships would sail, land at Crete, go on to their destination, they would all get all types of different philosophies of life, philosophies of religion coming to that island. All different types of false teachers. 
coming to that island. And so he gave them instructions, gave Titus instructions about um, how to hold on to strong doctrine and how to refute these false teachers. That's what we have to look forward to over these next uh, five, six weeks. So I think it's going to be a great series for us. I think it will be a lot of fun. And especially as we're getting ready in the next weeks ourselves to establish our first official leaders. We're establishing, as per our bylaws, deacons within the next few weeks. And so this will help give us a good uh, groundwork, a good starting point as we're developing leaders here at Freedom. So let's dig in. Probably tired of hearing me give the background. Let's get into God's Word. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, identifying himself as the author, a servant, and this word for servant is the word doulos, which is slave. He's saying, I am a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's stop here for a second. When he calls himself an apostle, he's establishing and identifying that he himself is a leader. We're talking about leaders today. He's establishing his credentials as a leader. But did you notice that he didn't start off calling himself an apostle? What did he call himself first? I'm a servant of God. I'm a slave of God. Uh, For the time when I was in Tanzania, the pastors there, when they would translate for me, they would, my translator would say, the man of God says, the man of God says, man of God, what do you, and if they're calling me man of God, I'm like, dude, I've never thought of myself as a man of God. I've always called myself a servant of God, but I feel real uncomfortable with that type of, of title. And Paul did too. So he established, first of all, I'm a slave of God. Now this whole apostle thing, there are only in the history of the world 14 people who were ever apostles. And he's one of them. The 12 apostles Jesus chose, Judas killed himself. They replaced him with Matthias, that's 13, and then Paul is 14. Now, in our culture, people would lead off with that. Hey, I'm an apostle and also a servant. I've got my doctorate. I've got my master's in divinity. I've got this credential. I've got a church of this size. That's who I am. Paul starts the other way. I'm a servant. I'm a servant of God. And also, I want to remind everybody that I'm a leader too. As I talk to you about leaders, I'm not talking to you about something that I'm unaware of. I'm talking to you about something I'm fully aware of. I'm a leader too. So Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And this is what I'm doing. He's, this is my job description as a leader. Apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So what he's saying here is that leaders help God's chosen people grow in their faith. And they help them to know Christ more, resulting in godly living. That's the role of leaders. A lot of times we think that leaders are decision makers. That we're making decisions. This is what the church should spend its money on. This is who should turn on the heat on Sunday mornings. This is who we should get to plow the snow. We've got to make these. The the main role of of leaders is helping God's people to grow and help them to know Christ more, resulting in godly living. In other words, leaders are all about making disciples first. Leaders do have to make decisions, but we only have the credibility to make decisions after we've made disciples and established that. So leaders at Freedom Bible Church... It's not about making decisions, but it's about making disciples. 
Verse 2. So he's an apostle of Christ Jesus for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And he defines a faith, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. And we sang about that this morning, that blessed assurance, knowledge of this hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, he promised before the foundation, before the beginning of time. So God's plan, before he even made the earth, before he made creation, his plan was to call us and promise us this blessed assurance of eternal life. Eternal life was in his mind before the earth was made. Verse 3, And at the appointed season he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So at this particular point in history, this was about 62 or 63 A.D. when Paul was writing this. He said, man, God, all of God's plan before creation, eternal life. Made the earth, made people. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again, ascended to heaven, died for the sins of all mankind. And now my appointed thing where I'm alive is to preach about Christ. And God has appointed us at this particular point in time, 2019, you're on the planet, not by accident. God has appointed you to be here, to be a leader in some form, whether it's in the church, in the home, in the workplace, in the school. God has appointed you just like he appointed and entrusted Paul with that message. Verse 4, he's now addressing it. I'm writing this to you, Titus. To Titus, you are my true son. In other words, Paul has discipled Titus. You're my true son in our common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Isn't that a good greeting? Grace and peace to you. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. I want to highlight a couple things here. It's already mentioned that, that Paul started the church in Crete. And he didn't stay there very long. Um, he left Titus there to bring the church to maturity, to bring the church to health. How? First and foremost, by establishing leaders. Most important thing. I want you to notice here that, um, first of all, the elders, they were appointed. They weren't elected. He was appointing them. So a church, it's not a democracy where the majority gets to vote and majority wins. It's not a democracy. It's called a theocracy where God's in control. Jesus is the head of the church. He raises up the leaders, and we listen to him to appoint those leaders. also want you to notice that he didn't say appoint an elder, singular. He said appoint elders, plural, because it's not healthy to have just one pastor or one elder. And the word elder is synonymous with pastor, synonymous with shepherd, is synonymous with overseer. Um, it's not healthy to have just one person making all the rules. I've seen churches like that. There's a trend in the United States and North America where churches that have a pastor and an elder team, there's a trend where the pastor's trying to eliminate the elders. I've seen it before. So that the pastor has all the authority, has all the control. They said, man, it makes things, it's like the president of a company. You can get things done faster that way. Yeah, you can, but it's dangerous and it's unhealthy. So we see that there's this plural elders. 
And also notice, he said, uh, appoint elders in every town. So what was happening was there was started a church in one town on the island, and then people from other towns would come and, and be exposed to the gospel. They would believe, and they would start sharing the gospel in their towns. So Paul was saying, hey, appoint elders in this town, and that town, and that town too. You don't just have one church in one city, and there's elders here, and they're telling everybody else what to do. Each town has to have their own elders. Um, what we're asking God to do here with Freedom Bible Church is make us multi-ethnic, make us multi-generational, but also make us multi-plying, where if God grows us to 100, 150 people, we're not trying to be this big mega church on TV. We're asking God, take 50 of our people, go down to Oberlin. Take 50 of our people, go up into Lorraine. Go over to wherever we want to multiply. And if we do that, if God will allow us to do that, we're not going to have a group of elders here at the mothership telling all these other churches what to do. We'll have elders at these other churches. We're not going to simulcast on a screen one preacher from this church on those other places. We're to have elders in every town, as Paul directed. Verse 6. Now he starts to define what an elder does. An elder, first of all, a leader, must be blameless. The husband of but one wife. A man. Now, let's stop there for a second. People say, well, is he, does he mean this man thing, like specifically gender male? Or is this like a gender neutral thing? He's just talking about mankind here. And he, he's specifically talking about men, the gender of men. You might, well, you might say, well, does this mean that women can't be elders? And the answer is yes, they cannot be elders. Women can serve and lead anywhere in any way in the church except for that elder or pastor. When you look at the life of Jesus, he had women who were disciples in Luke chapter 8. But he didn't have any women who were the apostles, the twelve. Does that mean women have less value? Nope. A few months or a couple months ago, we talked about marriage, and men and women have equal value, equal importance, just different roles. And in the church, there are different roles. And when we talk about an elder or a pastor, we're talking about um, male leadership there, according to Paul. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So here he's saying you have to, before you can lead in the church, you have to lead in the home. Uh, the home gives evidence of your ability to lead biblically so that you can be entrusted to lead in the church. Verse 7, since an overseer or an elder or a pastor is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. We see that word again. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. All of those things were common in Crete, but it could not be the prevailing culture of the church. Verse 8, rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So these first nine verses in Titus, they're of highest importance in establishing a healthy church, uh, a church that will make disciples 
a church that's going to be the true body of Christ, the first and primary importance is establishing leaders. And there are there's three elements of leadership and leaders that are highlighted here in these first nine verses. They're elevated here. So let's just take a look at these. And like I said, these are for the church, but also leadership ideals in the home, in your school, at work, in your community, in your life as well. So first of all, it's having a good reputation. Good reputation is vital for a leader. Now, by definition, a leader has got to have followers. If no one is following you, you're not leading. You're just taking a walk. You're all alone. If you're going to be a leader, someone has to be following you. Now, if you have a bad reputation or a poor reputation or a weak reputation, no one will want to follow you. Now, there are people who have a position of leadership, but maybe they're not a leader. People, you might have the ability or the power or the authority to make a decision, but if you're not a leader, people have to obey your decision, but they don't follow you. You don't have influence in your in their life. Maybe you've got a, a boss who doesn't have a good reputation, and but you've got to obey them, but you don't follow them. Maybe you have a coach on your sports team who they you've got to do what they tell you to do, but they don't have a good reputation, so you don't follow them, follow their lead. And I've seen before pastors in churches have a level of authority, a level of power, but if they don't have a good reputation, people don't follow them. Uh, something that was in the news this week, and maybe you caught it, was there's a, a, a Christian comedian who's very popular on YouTube. Uh, John Christ is his name. And it just was revealed that he had this dark double life of immorality and other things, and it was just revealed. His reputation shot. People won't follow him now. How do we respond to something like that? We pray for the man because it's, I mean, we don't, any of us want to be uh, in bondage to sin. We don't condemn the man or criticize the man. We, we look at our own lives where we could possibly be off track and be going down a pathway to destruction. But as far as him being a leader anymore, people won't follow that lead because of that blown reputation. It's ultra important for leaders in the church, for as we choose leaders in the church, to choose wisely. People who have earned it, people who already have influence, people who have already proven themselves. Not people with potential, but people who have proven themselves. Paul warned to not appoint an elder too quickly who's a new convert because they haven't established themselves yet. Uh, Drew was talking to me before the service today, and a number of people talked to me. You heard about uh, the musician, the artist Kanye West, a new convert to Christ. The conversion seems legitimate. It seems like he's got a genuine faith in Christ now. He's a guy who was walking in the world, all kinds of of sin and and self-glorification stuff, and there's a legitimate conversion to Christ. We want to praise God for that. We want to pray for the man that continue down that path. But is he ready to start uh, to become a leader or pastor a church or anything like that? You've got to put on the brakes there. He needs to be discipled first. And that's what Paul told Titus to do in establishing leaders. Disciple these people first. Don't put them into leadership too quickly. Paul talked about leaders to Titus here and then also in 1 Timothy. 
First Timothy, he said um, that an elder, a leader, a deacon, must also have a good reputation amongst the insiders in the church so that he has influence and people will follow, but also with outsiders because outsiders will discredit that church when they see that you've appointed somebody who's got no, he's got a bad reputation. So good reputation with the insiders and the outsiders. You might ask the question, well, how do we get a good reputation? How do I earn this good reputation? Well, verses 6, 7, and 8 tell us how to earn this reputation. First of all, verses 6 and 7 say, uh, by being blameless. What does that mean? It means to live righteously so that nobody can put any blame on you because of things you've done or things you've said. In other words, make wise decisions. Verse 6 also talks about uh, loving your wife. When you adore your spouse, when you're the husband of one wife, you earn this good reputation. Now people would say, what does this mean, husband of one wife? Does this mean that if I've been divorced, I can't ever be a leader in the church? That's not what that word means. That word means a husband who's a, a man who's a one-woman man. In other words, he doesn't have a wandering eye. He's not flirtatious with these other women. He looks at God's gift to him as his spouse, and that's his queen, and he adores her. How do you get a good reputation? Raise your kids to be godly, and you get a good reputation. Verse 7 says, don't be overbearing. In other words... Somebody who is manipulative or is controlling, they're overbearing. They shouldn't be in leadership. If somebody is closed-minded and unteachable, they're overbearing and not ready for leadership. Verse 7 also says, not quick-tempered. So somebody who's driven by rage, driven by their emotions, can, can fly off the handle not ready for leadership. Instead, somebody who's quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry, is somebody for leadership. Verse 7 says, somebody who's not violent. In other words, somebody who's peaceful. They bring a calming influence to the room, to the family. They're measured in how they speak. They don't try to get their way by raising their voice. Have you ever been in a room? I've been in meetings where somebody didn't like what was being said. So they raise their voice to, to shut everybody else down. Verse 7 says, don't pursue dishonest gain. So being honest, even when it costs you. Let me be honest about a temptation that I faced about a year ago. We, we bought some land and we built a house on that land and when I went to uh, the zoning board for Brownhelm Township and they're asking me how much land I had, I said, well, it's 10 acres. And the guy said, oh, that's good because if you've got 10 acres or more, then you get, you're at a lower tax rate. I'm like, you know, I say 10 acres, but technically by the measurements, it's 9.73. And I've thought several different times, I should have told that guy 10. I should have just left it at 10. But that would have been dishonest. That would have been dishonest gain on my part. So somebody who's blameless. Verse 8 says, a leader is somebody who does, who loves what is good. A leader is somebody 
who is self-controlled. You earn a reputation by being self-controlled, by being upright, by being holy. Our call to worship song this morning was talking about God's holiness, how he's set apart. Their holiness was being set apart from that culture of Crete, not being lazy, not being gluttonous, not being dishonest, somebody who's disciplined. You will earn a good reputation, and you'll make yourself eligible for church leadership when you prove yourselves this way. And you might say, man, Joel, that's a lot of stuff. That's going to take a long time to earn that. That's why they call them elders, because they're generally older, and they've gone through this discipling process, and they're more mature, and maturity just takes time. Don't give up. Keep doing these things. You can become a leader as you're doing these things. But for church leadership, there's this high standard that Paul set. First of all, it was a good reputation. Second thing, it was this word called stewardship. What does this word stewardship mean? It means to manage what has been entrusted to you. So a shepherd has been entrusted with the sheep owner's flock. And he is stewarding them by taking care of them and managing them well. The general manager of a sports team is managing the owner's team. The owner owns them. He's managing them. He's stewarding them. And we want to steward well. To be eligible for church leadership, you first have to be a trustworthy steward with what God's entrusted to you. Uh, He's entrusted you, men, with overseeing our families. And I need to faithfully steward and manage my family in order to be entrusted with stewarding the church. Verse 6 says, A husband of one wife, a one-woman man, love and adore my spouse. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul addressed it there too. He said the same way, the, The wife of a leader, the wife of a deacon, wife of an elder, must be a woman worthy of respect. Not a malicious talker, but temperate and trustworthy in every way. And that's because a husband's been discipling and nurturing and stewarding his wife. Uh, like I said, I've shared, I've worked with leaders across the country, and I've worked with several great men who, because of they haven't managed their home well, their, their, their wife has lowered their ceiling of influence and ability. Likewise, I've met and, and worked with several great ladies whose immaturity of their husbands have lowered their level of influence and leadership ability. Verse 6 says um, that uh, a leader in the church has to have children who believe, not wild and disobedient. So stewarding stewarding your children. Uh, Leaders in the church have to disciple their family at home faithfully so they can disciple people in the church faithfully. And then verse 8 talks about hospitality, using the home to disciple other people. Verse 8 talks about not greedy for money, but handling your finances wisely so you can be trusted to handle the church's finances wisely. So elements of biblical leadership are are reputation, stewardship, and finally, it's doctrine. Verse 9 says that uh, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute wrong doctrine. So let me just point out a couple words here. First of all, it's that word encourage. Encouraging others implies discipling others, helping them grow, helping them to follow Jesus. So 
Uh, the leader has to be a discipler first. Second of all, this word sound doctrine, that was a problem in Crete in 62 and 63 A.D. And it's been a problem ever since, even in the church today. Uh, when I was preaching two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, uh, in Tanzania, the, uh, the pastors there, they said, man, this is great Bible teaching. It's not just a message, but it's Bible teaching. They said what we're used to is a pastor, he's got a speech ready to go. He'll find one Bible verse that's related to it. He'll read that verse and then say what he has to say. But he's not teaching that verse. They said, we love that Bible teaching. We want to get on Freedom's website to hear our Bible teachers here because it's good, sound doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, Paul's talking about the leaders, talking about elders, talking about deacon. So the overseer, the elder, the deacon, must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. At Freedom, we say, what we want to do here, we want to make disciples like Jesus. We want to make much of God through our worship, and we want to teach His Word well. And that was one of the requirements for being an elder. Now, there were two different types of leaders in the New Testament, in the New Testament church. Uh, first type is the elders that we've been talking about. They're the spiritual leaders in the church. But then besides elders, there's also deacons. The deacons are the servant leaders in the church. It all goes back to Acts chapter 6, where there were apostles who were the spiritual leaders. Then they appointed the deacons, who were the servant leaders in the church. And uh, what's the difference between the two? There's really only one difference. The only difference is what Paul wrote here, is this ability to teach. A deacon has to be above reproach, husband of one wife, uh, temperate, not given to drunkenness, self-controlled, all the same things as an elder. The only difference is this one right here, is that the elder is somebody who's able and willing to teach. Teach God's Word with sound doctrine. Deacons might not be teaching and preaching, but they still have to have sound doctrine. Our church is part of a, a bigger group, a denomination, called the Evangelical Free Churches of America. If you want to see some sound doctrine, look at that statement of faith that our church and the Evangelical Free Church has. That is very sound doctrine. One of the problems in our church today, in our churches in North America, is there's unsound doctrine. Let me just throw out a few, because we're told in Titus 1.9 that our doctrine is to refute wrong doctrine. There's a, a, a doctrine called the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't. The prosperity gospel will use words like this. What you want to do is you want to plant a seed of faith. And if you have enough faith, then God will bless you with riches and money and all that you want. They'll use a verse like, you know, uh, trust in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And they'll say, you've got to put some faith in the Lord and you plant this faith seed by giving money to the church or sending money in over the phone or on the TV screen. That is, you, there's a, a preacher, he's uh, from Korea, his name is Joseph Prince. That's the kind of stuff he preaches. If you like this guy, you need to stop listening to this guy. It's, it's bad doctrine. There's another bad doctrine called the word faith doctrine. 
And that's in churches here in our county, in our area. And so is this prosperity thing. That's in churches in our county. But this word faith thing, it, their doctrine is, if I speak it out loud, it will happen. So you, go, you don't want to speak out loud about sickness, about death, about poverty, because that will happen. And they'll find one verse in the Bible that talks about speaking something out loud. There's a pastor on TV. His name's Osteen. And it's what he talks about. This faith where you can speak things into existence if you speak them out loud. That's a wrong doctrine. There's a, a, a movement called the Pentecostal movement. They preach a true gospel in the Pentecostal movement, but there's some wrong doctrine there. Maybe you've heard of, seen in the scriptures, speaking in tongues. Some of the Pentecostal movements will talk about um, that you have to speak in tongues, and if you don't, then you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. Where Ephesians makes it clear that if I put my faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in me, takes up residency in me, can't lose him. He's there. It's not evidenced by speaking in tongues. The Pentecostals will also have this thing called slaying in the spirit where you come up on stage, someone touches you in the head, you fall down and you convulse uncontrollably. That's hoo That's bunk. That's BS. That's nonsense. None of that is true. And there's some, there, there's um, different, um, there's different churches. Um, you've heard of Hillsong music. Comes from a Hillsong church in Australia. There's some other music called Bethel music. Have some decent music. Has some real questionable lyrics to some of their music too. But they're into this, you know, some of this crazy Pentecostal um, bad doctrine. I'll just share one more. It's called universalism. This universalism doctrine is that everybody on planet Earth is going to heaven, no matter what. That after you die, you'll get a chance to respond to the gospel then, and everybody will go to heaven. And I've heard people in this county say those words. There's a famous guy named Rob Bell. He started a church in Grand Rapids. Now he's Oprah Winfrey's personal advisor. Um, anything that he has to say about it is, is, is off. It's wrong. Okay, this bad doctrine. And part of our job as leaders in the church is to lift up sound doctrine and refute this wrong doctrine. And that's what we want to do today. So as a leader, you've got to know God's word, you've got to teach God's word. Let's land this plane. You guys have had enough. We've had enough today. Let's go. We're going to go back just 3,000 years in time to a biblical leader. Not a perfect leader, not a perfect man like all of us, not perfect leaders of perfect men or women, but a biblical leader. His name was King David, and David shepherded them. In other words, he pastored them. He eldered them. He overseed them. Shepherd, pastor, elder, overseer, same word. David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. So when he shepherded them, it means he was their pastor, their elder. This integrity, that was related to his reputation and his stewardship. His skill was related to his doctrine, teaching discipling sound doctrine. And he led people. People followed him because of his heart and his hands, because of his integrity and his skill, not because of his position. So let's strive to be biblical leaders uh, in school, at work, on the sports team, in the home, in the community, and especially in the church. 
And let's pray together as we establish our first deacons, our first leaders here um, in the upcoming weeks of freedom. Let's pray that we will wisely appoint and affirm these first leaders, these deacons. Before we pray, just point out our pathway this week. Let's memorize that verse we just looked at. Psalm 78, 72. David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. And let's, this week, let's read through Titus. As we're going to be teaching through this, read through Titus 1 through 3. Also, as we look at leaders, 1 Timothy 3. Acts 6, 1 through 7, the very first elders and deacons. And then Matthew 20, 28, 20 through 28 this week. And then ask God to show you how does he want you to lead and what do you need to address in your life to become his leader. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that, um, that your word this morning would, would resonate inside our lives, that, that everybody here, they wouldn't just think that, oh, you know, that, that's a pastor's responsibility or leaders, but every one of us, Lord, you're making every one of us into leaders in our home, at work, in the church. We pray that you'd be about that work in us and that we cooperate with you. Uh, we, lo- we know, Lord, it's a long road, a long journey of not letting the culture that we live in influence us, but I pray that we would just establish and adopt a kingdom culture, Lord, a Jesus culture, a biblical culture, and that we would lead well in that culture. And as we um, appoint and affirm our first deacons uh, coming up um, uh, just in the next few weeks, Lord, pray that your hand would be on those decisions. Your hand would be on those men who are going to serve in those positions, Lord, that you would direct our paths that way. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you. We praise you. Um, we look to you and you alone as our only hope and our own blessed assurance.